Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 70, meaningless, meaningless. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Power of Change Worldwide Shedquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm here with my main man, Jesse Fury. What's up? Dancing with the music in his ears. I can't can't help it. I can't help it. Meaningless, meaningless. It's kind of a depressing topic today. It is kind of depressing, but important, right? Yeah. Uh, Obviously, for those familiar a little bit with maybe the wisdom literature of the Bible would recognize that is one of the ways the book of Ecclesiastes, this common phrase, vanity of vanities or uh, meaningless, meaningless uh, can be translated. I think the Hebrew word hebel, which means kind of a puff of air, a temporary transient kind of reality that that is kind of is life itself simply empty, vain. Um, is my sound on my computer making weird, <laughs> awkward sounds there? Jesse, it's was just that a with puff it? of air? I got to mute I'll, that. Are you man. translating that straight from your Hebrew, your Hebrew Bible right now? No, because I'm taking Come Hebrew on, you're right now. The class. My you last know, seminary class, uh, after a 20 year sojourn through an MDiv, and, and I have no time. I've had the flu most of February. I'm trying to learn these words. I'm looking cross eyed. I'm just trying to pass. <laughs> A lot of people go to school that long. It's probably hubble or something like that is how you say that word. But yeah, but yeah, meaningless. The loss of Western purpose, we could say, or the loss of purpose in our culture. If you guys were with us the last two episodes, we've been looking at worldviews. We said seeing through the eye, meaning uh, we want to look at life through the lens of a gospel framework, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Uh, and then last um, time, Jesse, we looked at this shift, right? This yeah, shocking three-decade yeah. uh, rise of the the nuns, the nun, not 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 women who have given themselves to the Lord uh, in the Catholic tradition, right? But uh, no uh, specific uh, acknowledged yeah. uh, religious uh, viewpoint or affiliation, viewpoint, yeah. right? Up almost four x four times from nineteen ninety one. To 2018. So we're going to head that way today. But Jesse, I, I just wanted to catch up a little bit yeah. and just see how you're doing. We've both, we both been out of town, haven't we? We have. Yeah. I was in warm weather. I was in Tampa, Florida. I was doing a, a high school, middle school kind of disciple now kind of weekend at a Baptist church. It was fantastic. Taught Friday night, Saturday night, and then the did big church on Sunday. Uh, all the youth group kids wore their t-shirts on Sunday morning kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great trip. And then went to Dallas, had some Acts 29 network meetings. And Man, lots of warm weather. Yeah, got back and it wasn't super cold here, but yeah, a yeah. lot warmer down there. Where, where have you been on the road? Ooh, I was up in D.C. I was up in D.C. visiting family. Uh, you know, we homeschool, and so we, we, we did a little field trip. Obviously, you're in Virginia, and if you're in any kind of school, you go to, you go to D.C. D.C. Man. for field you go trips. To DC, yeah. yeah, so we did a field trip. We hit up like seven different uh let's see we did american history natural history the zoo the botanical gardens american indian museum uh the capitol building we just hit it all up and, vietnam uh, world war ii memorials and we did uh oh and we went probably my my highlight of the whole thing though was we went to a washington wizards basketball game Ooh. brought our three older kids and uh, we got hooked up uh, with some box box seats. Are they good at basketball? I don't no, know they're about not the good, but they're fun. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we won though, so that was fun. And like we won fun on a, like sports marketing environment kind of fun, no, or no, the no, Wizards no, no. Like play a team. wide open game. Yeah, or, yeah, uh, yeah. Like like we're one of the one of the 
uh, faster-paced, most fun offensive teams. Right. But we don't play defense. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so yeah. we lose a lot of games like 128 to 134. <laughs> uh, but they're fun. They're yeah. fun. And, and, and it was a Wednesday night, so it's pretty empty. So you get like in box seats, man. It's you know, yeah, pretty close. We're eating and, like prawns or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they were feeding us. No, Shrimp. there was food. The fridge was stocked with beer and soda and wine. It was. It was. I've never done that. Wow. I, I'm always in the nosebleed, cheap seats. Yeah. Uh, grew up in the D.C. area, all around D.C., and so we. I've gone to you know, dozens and dozens and dozens DC of sports games. games. Yeah, but I've never bought, never done box seats. Wow. It felt. I felt like a king. It was. It was wonderful. And you had your family with you. Yeah. And you're, you're like, yeah. The, the kids king, loved it. The king in his court. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> And we and we won. It was yeah. fun. It was fun. Yeah. Get so hype. so uh, yeah. And, and my brother uh, is moving to L.A. And so we were saying goodbye. Had a big party, like seventy people. Surprise parties, wild. And he's going to be a, a, a screenplay he writer. Wants kind of guy. Wants to be a writer. Yeah. 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 He wants Fantastic. to write comedy. Uh, you know, he wants to write. Is he know. funny? He's funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's got a chance. Yeah. He's got it. Yeah. Sure. He's <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, he's going to do it. Awesome. Go, bro. <laughs> Go, bro. Yeah. Love it, man. Well, hey. Thanks. But it's good to be back here in the shed. Yeah, it's a beautiful sunny day here in southwest Virginia. And uh, we are talking about meaninglessness. Meaningless, <laughs> meaningless, meaningless. Welcome well, hey, back. Well, hey, from last time. Yeah. We looked at this rise of the nuns, um, and a good friend of mine in New Jersey, who's a small business owner, he owns uh, a pin pin stock coffee roasters, kind of one of the more successful Ooh. coffee roasters in New Jersey, actually, uh, named Ben Shellac. Ben, ben is also like a polyglot. He speaks multiple languages. He could teach my Hebrew class, probably. Um, just a super smart guy, Vanderbilt graduate, um, neat guy. So he listened to the last episode and was texting with me a little bit. And he shared with me some information from a research fellow at the Institute of Family Studies named Lyman Stone, who looked at the demographic trends of secularization and nuns and all that stuff. But now his name's Lyman Stone. That's like, that's yeah, a, that's yeah. like a Puritan yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I love it. Okay, now, I like it. Okay. Now, Eved is, Even, I think is the Hebrew word for stone. And so the way I memorize that word is I say Evan Stone. It sounds like some guy on TV or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's kind of what I do. Hey, now yeah. it's Evan Stone. Hey, Evan Stone. Yeah. That's how you know you're Hebrew. Um, but he, he mentioned this guy's Twitter thread, and I'll put it in the show notes, about how religious uh, religiosity seems to stabilize around age 18. And so it's really young people in middle school and high school is when there's a lot of movement in terms of religion, maybe rebelling against parents. I don't want to go to church anymore, quitting going with the family, those kind of things. And so I'll, I'll just link that for you guys because the discussion around this trend of people becoming less religious in America is debated, right? Some would say, Hey, they're going to all come back. Um, there was a study from researchers from Harvard and University of Indiana that was in the Federalist. I'll link this as well that was talking about, um, the faith that's being dropped in America is kind of casual, non-church attending, not very serious faith at all, is actually what's falling apart. And it's really what kind of faith, the kind of faith that actually actually goes to like church or synagogue or things like that, is actually very robust. In fact, the articles um, says Christianity is not shrinking but growing stronger in America. And mm. so I guess it's 
got to talk about apples and apples. But, you know, will, you know, these young people who are kind of stepping out on things or um, will they come back? That's the big debate. And so if you're interested in that, there's some uh, articles that say no to that. There's a website called 538 from ABC News that has an article said millennials are leaving religion and not coming back. And then, of course, there, you know, you can see that article in The Federalist about the strengthening of American Christianity in this season of kind of, you know, where blase, non-believe anything, faith is really not faith, kind of is going out. Yeah, but now, now so how do they, you know, I haven't, I haven't read the 538 article, but how do they, how can, how can they know, right? Because if millennials are, um, you know, as a whole, marrying later, starting, so isn't there, isn't there more of the argument of as, you know, They've they've kind of maybe wandered off a little bit, like many of us did that aren't millennials. Yeah, uh, only to come back when family starts. And of course, for me, family started much. You know, I got married at twenty two earlier. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, how can they know? Aren't millennials? Aren't the oldest millennials like thirty seven? Yeah, 36? I, I think the, the the bottom line on that issue is: Will certain people come back to their faith traditions? Is that we don't know. Right now, okay. their contention is is you know they're getting married later. They're marrying perhaps other people that don't have faith involvement. Maybe they had less faith involvement themselves in previous generations. Um, so it's there, and I think there's a little bit of prognosticating that's based upon. Um, your own opinions right, about secularization right. and your own views on what you maybe even want to happen yeah. amongst the young people. And I think there's a little bit of a hand-wringing. I even heard it from a friend this week, like, oh, these this amount of young people are leaving the church. It's going to all, you know, the sky is right, falling kind right. of thing. But it really doesn't change what we should do, obviously. I mean, we should care about young people. And certainly my ministry, your ministry is dedicated to yeah. kind of connecting, training, reaching uh, the next generation and helping the church to do that. That's why we do this podcast, even, by the way. So whether or not they come back, we don't know. Um, but there are effects, right, of the loss of religious connection. If you remember Derek Thompson's article a couple episodes ago in The Atlantic, it ends this way. Although belief in God is no panacea for these problems, and these problems are things like anxiety, suicide, opioid addiction, those sorts of things, right? He says, although God is no panacea for these problems, religion is more than just a theism or belief in God. It's a bundle, a theory of the world, a community, a social identity, a means of finding peace and purpose. We're going to talk about that today with our discussion of meaning. And a weekly routine. Those like me who've largely rejected the package deal often find themselves shopping a la carte for meaning, community, and routine to fill a faith-shaped void. Their politics is a religion, their work is a religion, their spin class is a church, and not looking at their phone for several consecutive hours is their Sabbath. So uh, the contention was in that article, American nuns may well build successful secular systems of belief, purpose, and community. But imagine what a devout believer like you, Jesse, might think millions of Americans abandoning religion only to recreate it everywhere they look. And so the question is, are there downstream problems for those kind of engaged in this cobbling together out of work or uh, Instagram photos or personal likes or self-building, trying to become a human being of value, purpose, and meaning in a world where the kind of meaning building institutions of family, church, politics, maybe you know, God, country, patriotism are gone, how is that going for the next generation? Mm. Mm. And here's what this, we're going to look at the next few episodes. We're going to look at meaning and purpose. We're going to look at sexual morality in our culture. How's that going for people who are living with kind of very minimalistic uh, sexual morality? How's that going? And then uh, finally, family coherence. What's happening to families? 
and is that necessary and how does that shape us as people? And so the question is, how are young folks doing today uh, in this world, right? Now, obviously, we talked about the word vanity or meaninglessness. This comes out of Ecclesiastes 1, um, where that book begins, Vanity of Vanity, says the preachers, Vanity of Vanities, all is vanity. And I think NIV translation says meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. meaningless right. all is right. meaningless. And so... That book in the Old Testament is this wonderful uh, experiment to say, hey, look, what do we get from all our work? Uh, The world kind of stays the same. It's weary. We live. We die. It's like a conveyor belt of life. We go off the end, and new ones come on the other side. And what does it even mean in the end? It's so wearisome, right? And so that book is an experiment from someone, either Solomon or uh, somebody using Solomonic imagery and right. get into the authorship discussions of that. But the, the basic Solomon said, I'm going to run an experiment. Where can I find right purpose? Where can I find meaning? Is it going to be in money? Is it going to be in accomplishments, power, sexuality, sensuality? Where is it? And he basically tries all these things and they utterly, utterly fail him. And I think our generation of young people is sensing that a bit in our day. There's an article in The Sun, which I know is a little bit tabloidish in the UK, uh, but they uh, uh, quoted a survey uh, where the younger generation in Britain, uh, a majority, 89% of 16 to 29 year olds claiming their life lacks purpose or meaning. And that makes people anxious. And so... Um, this is something that I've noticed just anecdotally, Jesse, yeah, ta- talking yeah. to my own kids about how their friends just today, my middle daughter said, Hey, I got to stay after school just for a little while. Cause I need to talk to one of my friends who's kind of having a, having a breakdown. Now look, man, we're in Blacksburg, right? It's a college town. It ain't like there ain't bullets flying. Right. right? I mean, there have been bullets flying in Blacksburg before, but you know what I mean? It's not, you can think of a lot more places. Um, it's, it's not a pretty, it's Syria, a pretty, right. I, I, idyllic. Uh, community, right? I mean, you got this is this is small town America, highly educated, high, but but a highly educated, yeah, yep, yep. But yet we hear over and over again, uh, kid, all, kids all the time struggling, yeah, with anxiety, stress, overloaded by life, and wondering what in the world it even means. And just just a few weeks ago, uh, in the Institute for Family Studies online. Uh, there was an article by Joseph Davis said the deeper roots of youth anxiety. And there's some things in that uh, essay that are a bit uh, concerning uh, how young people are flowing today in the world. And so this is a quote from that article, February 18th, 2020. We'll put it in your show notes. I, I, we do suggest guys out there who are listening, who are interested in uh, reaching the young, younger generation, loving the younger generation, uh, interacting with faith and culture, to read these links in the show notes because they're very insightful and people doing really good research on these matter yeah. this this are understanding your own kids if you if you've got kids that are adolescents growing up yeah absolutely absolutely i mean yeah. which we got we got kids right right and some people ask is is the gospel underground about theology philosophy faith and culture or, or parenting i was like well <laughs> if you're going to talk about the borderlands between the church and yeah. culture yeah man our own All kids over. yeah that's our right. own kids come into play yeah seriously so this article by joseph davis february 18th 2020 anxiety in teens is on the rise and constitutes the leading mental health issue amongst American youth. Frequently cited surveys show that the number of adolescents diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. So this is severe, right? Not just feeling a little bit, you know, I got a test tomorrow. More and more high school seniors are reportedly feeling overwhelmed in the past 
month, the prevalence of college students feeling overwhelming anxiety surpasses 40%. And this is the author. In my experience of listening to young people talk about the pressures of their social world, what stands out is the way in which they are required to conceive of their lives. Again, this is worldview, right? How do you view yourself? How do you view God or not? How do you view your flow in the world? Much of what's constituted a way of life that was imparted to children involving traditions and communal purpose, rites of passage, and stable institutional reference points, read family and church, has disappeared. Now youth like Megan must define themselves and shape in the shape of their own lives, who they want to be and become by primarily referencing their own preferences, desires, and choices. They are urged to project a future and treat themselves and the social world as though every constraint and limitation is essentially malleable. In other words, I'm responsible to manipulate and shape and change all the things around me to kind of craft a life out of preferences, desires, and choices. Obstacles are seen as variables that can be moderated or eliminated by their hard work or creative efforts, right? And they are virtually compelled to represent this biographical project, this, quote, story you choose to live in, as one young man put it to me, to others, from peers to college admission officers in a way that demonstrates and confirms its upward progress and self-realization. Yeah, man. I, so that's that is that's powerful. And obviously, you know, in these kind of in these kind of things like uh, youth anxiety and depression, uh, and what we're suggesting, which is, um, you know, the meaninglessness of of the worldview that that many youth are are swimming in or living in, um, it you know, there's a correlation. What is there a causation or not? Yeah. We're arguing there is yeah. causation there. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about this in particular. I and, and Reed, that's cool that you brought this in because uh, even just on Monday in one of my classes, we were talking about um, the importance of story. Um, and, and, and not, not, not story in a sense of your, um, make your own story, but, uh, I brought up to the class, Alistair McIntyre in his book, after virtue has, has this kind of, uh, uh, kind of famous saying of, uh, I can't answer the question, what ought I to do? And until I first answer the question of which story am I a part? Yeah. And so, and so we were talking about how, um, how, how really, uh, <clears throat> You know, you know, our life in the kingdom of God, our life in in, in the church, even uh, so much of it depends first on who's the who's the hero of the story, what yeah. is the story, and and this is received. Like right. I don't, you know, and, and I was even thinking about how growing up when you read a book and you received have a, through traditions and communal right, purpose and right. rites of passage, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and you know, when you when you, did you did you ever read those kind of like pick your own adventure books? Oh yeah, that? absolutely. Yeah, and do mad <laughs> mad yeah, yeah, libs. Yeah. You know, and, you write and, an adjective and, or a verb. Yeah, and yeah. they're and they're fun. Yeah. But over time, you, it's kind of, it's exhausting. Like, I yeah. mean, at the end of the day, I just wanted to go back and read something. I want the author to tell the yeah. story. I, I don't want to have to write my own story all the time. All the time. And, uh, and so, I, I, you know, we, we were kind of discussing how, how tiring it is if you have to be, be the hero, the author. You're self-generating the story. You're not yeah. receiving it through traditions. And, and, and really what uh, Joseph Davis is saying is that young people are feeling this excessive anxiety because every single one of them feels responsible to create this creative, that's right. uh, compelling, upward progress narrative that college people will like and other yeah. people like, people on Instagram will like, 
and it's it's just wearisome. Yeah, and that and that um, checks off the the self kind of worth boxes. That's right. Yeah. How do I know if I'm enough? Well, your identity comes from all these things you do, your choices, your desires, and preferences. And what if you don't do it right? right. What if you get rejected? And, and you mix in like social media with that, right? Um, which oh, obviously yeah. young people use, you know, snap them chats and you know, on the, <laughs> on the gram and you know, they're all over, right? Um, TikTok, right? Line up the most recent thing I read about TikTok, they're doing, you know, you'd line up, you dance and three at a time. There's a skull crusher challenge where they're tripping the middle kid and making them fall. Some kids like cracking his head and stuff because they're playing jokes on TikTok. So, you add in that social media reality. <laughs> That's why I don't dance on TikTok. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's almost like it's a peer grading you out yeah. on how you're yeah. doing with your preferences and creativity. Um, Jean, Jean Twinge, who wrote a book called iGen, uh, the, the, the full title is like 16 lines long, but it's how youth are engagement in social media is crushing them, basically. Uh, she's a researcher, I believe, from the University of uh, San, San Diego State, maybe out west. Um, this is a quote from her book. She said, the results could not be clearer. Teens who spend more time on screen activities are likely to be unhappy. And those who spend time on non-screen activities are likely to be happy. There is not a single exception. All screen activities are linked to less happiness. All non-screen activities are linked to more happiness. And so let alone, you know, your life as a choose your own adventure book. Now that you're the hero, you got to write your own story. You got to make yourself, you got to create and generate your own meaning, right? It doesn't come from outside yourself, comes from yourself doing that. And then putting that in a social media world where you're graded out at all times, uh, is utterly exhausting. Even just, just this week, a new study came out that was published in the American Economic Review called The Welfare Effects of Social Media. Now, this was a this is from the abstract of that research that says, we are finding that deactivating Facebook for four weeks did this, reduced online activity while increasing offline activities, such as watching TV alone, socializing with family and friends, uh, reduced both factual news knowledge and political polarization, which... That's a mixed bag, but this is the one that hit me. Uh, it increased the subjective feeling of well-being just by being off Facebook for four weeks. I can confirm that. You can testify. <laughs> I can testify to that. Amen. Yeah. So, so, so if you if we're living in this world where um, the story we find ourselves in has to be generated by self every day, um, what of meaning and purpose? Right now, the, the interesting thing about this. This project of localized, self-generated, we might call it proximate meaning, is the project that's connected to unbelief in the uh, disappearing of certain institutions, right? It's almost like there is no ultimate meaning anymore from outside of ourselves, from God or, or, or creation or telos, like we talked last time, like design of God, what, what is the purpose of all this? There is no mega purpose, so we're just stuck, right, creating our own. You better do a good job. Now, this is stated very clearly in a book called uh, Is Belief in God Good, Bad, or Irrelevant, which is a dialogue, very interesting book, between uh, an atheistic scientist who's got a Ph.D. in zoology, who's also the punk rock lead frontman from the band Bad Religion named uh, uh, Greg Graffin. Uh, it's a dialogue between Graffin and a Christian professor named Preston Smith. Um, and Graffin clearly articulates in this book that there is no ultimate meaning to life or the universe. It's all just naturalistic bumping of matter and energy and time and evolutionary processes. 
so that we are stuck with, and he doesn't feel stuck with it because he's the punk rock front man of a <laughs> bad, of bad religion, right? He's a bad bottom guy, right? Um, he says the only thing we have is proximate meaning or, or localized meaning that you have to create yourselves. You have to find it outside, not from outside yourself, but you make it yourself. Now, this is great. Like if you're, you know, famous YouTubers and, you know, everyone loves you and you got millions of followers and millions of dollars. Uh, but what about just the average person, young person in, mm. in a high school traveling through and said, well, life has no ultimate purpose. Well, you better create something cool. Um, how much anxiety could that produce pressure, in a young pressure, person? Pressure, pressure, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and uh, yeah, I was thinking about um, what's the uh, the the famous Macbeth quote from uh, when when Lady Macbeth dies? Uh, well, I'm not going to be able to help you with your Shakespearean <laughs> literature reading quotes. You want a physics equation, man? You come to my house. Uh, if, Kayla, if Kayla was here, she would know uh, the famous. Life, Mac- I know it. Life okay. is a tale told by an idiot. Uh, full of sound, full of sound, sound and fury, fury signifying, signifying nothing. See, you I do know it, it. I do you know it. it. Yeah, I do and, know it. And and in the end, like you kind of build and build and build and and, and generate and generate and generate, and then it and then and then you see death happening. Yeah, and you realize well, this was just. Nothing, yeah, you know, you know, a really interesting story, Jesse, is that um, some of you guys may have heard of Rhett McLaughlin and Link Neal. YouTube entertainers famous. Um, what some of you guys out there may not know is that I was actually their youth pastor for about six months. Uh, and Rhett actually had a really hard time with the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, he was just like, man, this just doesn't seem right what he's saying in here because he's like saying life is meaningless, yeah. is worthless. And, and what I was, what I tried to convey to him when he's like 18 years old is like, look, this is a book that should be read is like if the proposition there is no God. Right is right. true, right? If the if the if only life that exists is just what's here under the sun, nothing from the outside, everything is locked in. If that is true, then the right conclusion is the quote from Macbeth. The right conclusion is yeah, meaningless, meaningless. What does it mean? We're here. We're on a conveyor belt. We're dead. We're dust. We're gone. No afterlife. No nothing. Um, and, it, and then everything is just summed up with eat, drink, be merry. For tomorrow we die. For tomorrow we right. die. Yeah. Right. Better make the most of it. Now, right. that's easy to say maybe for life's winners uh, or for those who are making living their best life on the gram, so to speak. Mm. But what about all of us? Is that the only hope we have? Because that just unleashes this kind of comparison uh, and one-upmanship that kind of gets to the worst maybe of human existence. It certainly doesn't. Uh, get to maybe a call to love and sacrifice for others uh, when you're when you're out on the ground building your best life uh, now. So this is interesting. If if the command is there's nothing outside ourselves but the universe, it's a cold, dark place. The universe itself is going to end in heat death. We're going to run out of usable energy, and that's the destiny of the world. You know, the sun will burn out. We'll all be dead. Everything's dead. The end. If that's if that's that's a hopeful story, right, Jesse? I mean, I'm it's exciting. <laughs> but within that, if you're just said, well, make make yourself a self, make yourself a valuable person, make yourself somehow valued by others. Well, how do you do that? Well, figure it out, and do that in front of everybody on social media. Yeah. Maybe be smart, yeah. right? Maybe have money. Maybe try to be really really good looking. Maybe win a lot. Maybe you just compare yourself to others forever. This is a recipe for youth anxiety and tragedy. Yeah. Um, so what do we do? What do we do with that? Now, this is just fascinating to me, and I want to be charitable. Um, 
But I just want to say the thing we can't do, if we know all that, if that's our view, hey, the world is just signifying nothing. It's, or as Jean-Paul Sartre would say, the life is a, a, a play with no exit. The only question left by philosophy is suicide, whether we should kill ourselves, right? Is that, is that, if that's true, if that's true, we can't lie to ourselves about that, right? Um, now, this is an interesting argument uh, that was put forth by many people. Um, Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician philosopher, put this forth in his book Pensées uh, in a certain way. Francis Schaeffer in the 20th century put this kind of absurdity of life without God. If, if there is no God, life is absurd. It's kind of what philosophers call a reductio ad absurdum. If this, then this run it to its logical conclusion. Right. What is the ending of that? Now, uh, Christian philosopher William Lane Craig, in his book Reasonable Faith, Christian Truth and Apologetics, has uh, a treatment of this um, argument in there where he, he, he unpacks it a little bit. I want to read a little bit of that book for us, and we can do that on the Gospel Underground because we have people that are overcoming low attention spans who can uh. listen to books, <laughs> who can read books. We can you do can it, do right, it. guys out there, it. right? Um, Consider it patronizing when people say, well, no, people can't listen to stuff more than two (laughs) minutes today. You better be stupid. Don't be stupid. Well, this is from that uh, argument of if this universe has no God, no immortality, the dirt nap awaits. Well, what do we do with that? This is uh, from William Lane Craig's book, Reasonable Faith. Nobel Prize winning physicist Steven Weinberg, at the close of his much acclaimed popularization of contemporary cosmology, the first three minutes of the universe, writes this, however all these problems may be solved and whichever cosmological model of the universe proves correct, there is not much comfort in any of this. It is almost irresistible for humans to believe that we have some special relation to the universe, that human life is not just more or less farcical outcome of a chain of accidents reaching back to the first three minutes but that somehow we were built in from the beginning. It is very hard to realize that this is all just a tiny part of an overwhelmingly hostile universe. It is even harder to realize that this present universe has evolved from an unspeakably unfamiliar early condition and faces a future extinction of endless cold, or intolerable heat. Hallelujah. The more the universe seems comprehensible, the more we do science, the more it seems pointless. But if there is no solace in the fruits of our research, there is at least some consolation in the research itself. Men and women are not content to comfort themselves with tales of gods or giants or to confine their thoughts to the daily affairs of life. They also build telescopes and satellites and accelerators and sit at, and sit at their desks <laughs> like he does for endless hours working out of the meaning of their data that they gathered. There's the purpose of life. The effort to understand the universe is one of the very few things that lifts human life a little above the level of farce and gives it some of the grace of tragedy. Now, Craig goes on to comment, there is something strange about Weinberg's moving description of the human predicament. Tragedy is an evaluative term. In other words, it has moral characteristics to it. It's an evaluation of it. Weinberg sees the pursuit of scientific research as raising human life above the level of farce, like a joke, to the level of tragedy. But on naturalism, which which Weinberg believes, 
What is the basis for such an evaluative differentiation? Weinberg evidently sees life devoted to scientific purpose as truly meaningful, and therefore it's too bad that so noble a pursuit should be extinguished. But why, on naturalism, should the pursuit of science be any different from slouching about and doing nothing? Or keeping up with the Kardashians, I might add, or Netflix and chill, I might add. Since there is no objective purpose to human life, one of our pursuits has none of our pursuits has any objective significance. However important and dear they may seem to us subjectively. The human predicament <laughs> and modern man is truly thus terrible. The atheistic worldview is insufficient to maintain a happy and consistent life. Man cannot live consistently happy as though life were ultimately without meaning, without value, or purpose. If we try to live consistently within the framework of an atheistic worldview, we shall find ourselves profoundly unhappy. If instead confronted with this, uh, and when confronted with this dilemma, modern man flounders pathetically for some means of escape. Now, get this, Jesse. This is going to be an alternative to kind of despair or meaninglessness um, offered by another uh, to the Academy of uh, the American Academy for the Advancement of Science. In 1991, Dr. L. D. Rue, confronted with the predicament of modern man boldly advocated that we deceive ourselves by some means of a noble, which means good and upright, a noble lie into thinking that we and the universe still have value, claiming that the lesson of the past two centuries is that intellectual and moral moral relativism is profoundly the case. Dr. Rue muses that the consequence of such a realization that one's quest for personal wholeness or self-fulfillment and the quest for social co- coherence become independent from each other. This is because on the view of relativism, the search for self-fulfillment becomes radically privatized. Each person chooses his own set of values and meaning. There is no final objective reading on the world or on the self. That's what we're talking about teenagers trying to do. There is no universal vocabulary for integrating cosmology that's like how stars are formed in the universe itself, and morality, what is good in the world. If we are to avoid, as a culture, the madhouse option where self-fulfillment is pursued regardless of social coherence and the totalitarian option where social coherence is imposed at the expense of personal wholeness, then we have no choice but to embrace some noble lie that will inspire us to live beyond selfish interests and so achieve social coherence. A noble lie, is how Rue defines it, Jesse, a noble lie is one that deceives us, tricks us, compels us beyond self-interest, beyond ego, beyond family, nation, and race. It is a lie because it tells us the universe is infused with value, which is a great fiction, because it makes a claim to universal truth when there is none. And because it tells me not to live for self-interest, which is evidently false, but without such lies, we cannot live. Mm. Mm. Well, that's just from, I mean, mm. you know, that, that actually reminds me of, I know I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but, uh, I really think everybody should read like once a year, uh, Another non non Christian academic, uh, intellectual, not academic. Uh, David Foster Wallace passed away yeah. fifteen years ago, but yeah. his 
uh, commencement speech, which has been published as This is Water. Yeah, we put it in the show notes yeah, last week. Right. Yeah, it's, there's yeah. a YouTube video you can yeah, watch man, of that speech. Man. Yeah, when, when he talks about how you just, essentially, you have to live this way. Yeah. There's, this is just our default. We have to live. As if it means as something. As if it means something. We have right. to live as, uh, uh, ascribing worth to things outside of ourselves. That's right. Or yeah. you go crazy or, yeah. we, or we resort to anarchy or totalitarianism. Yeah. This is a big problem we see in our culture, right, where everyone is shouting now for their own opinions to be absolutized and the wars in politics and the incivility, the lack of definition for right or wrong or shared meaning of truth, goodness, and beauty is just gone and we're left to fend for it in the streets. A noble so, lie. So we need a noble lie. Now, obviously, if you know it's a lie, it's not very noble. It's yeah. not very compelling. Um, now, if you want to say, well, that's from 1991. Obviously, that's a year I graduated from high school. That's a long, long time ago, right? <laughs> um, you might think, well, that's an old quote. Nobody, we're, we're getting past that kind of discouragement with uh, kind of the materialistic, naturalistic worldview. Well, December 5th, 2019, just a couple months ago in the Wall Street Journal, um, there was an article by Erica Commissar uh, that was entitled this, Jesse. Don't believe in God? Question mark. Lie to your children. Mm. The alternative is to tell them they're simply going to die and turn to dust. <laughs> now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> think about that statement. Now, um, Erica Commissar is a, is a uh, person of Jewish background. I think she's active in her religious community. But obviously, she's a, she's a therapist. And she wrote this. As a therapist, I'm often asked to explain why depression and anxiety are so common today amongst children and adolescents. This is the issue we're getting at, right? One of the most important explanations, and perhaps the most neglected, is a declining interest in religion. The cultural shift has already proved disastrous for millions of vulnerable young people. 2018 study in the American Journal of Epidemiology examined how being raised in a family with religious and spiritual beliefs affects mental health. Now, if you listen to kind of people who don't believe in God, they think, oh, you get raised in a religious home, it's terrible. But Harvard researchers had examined religious involvement with a longitudinal data set of approximately 5,000 people with controls for sociodemographic uh, characteristics and maternal health. Now, this is like you're born healthy as a baby. This is a long-term longitudinal study, controls in place for rich, poor, class, all those kind of things. The result of this study, children or teens who reported attending religious service at least once per week scored higher on psychological well-being measurements and had lower risks of mental illness. Weekly attendance was associated with higher rates of volunteering, a sense of mission in life, forgiveness, and a lower probability of drug use and early sexual initiation. Pity then that the U.S. has seen a 20% decrease in attendance of formal religious service in the past 20 years, according to a Gallup report earlier this year. In 2018, the American Family Survey showed that nearly half of all adults under 30 do not identify with any religion. Nihilism, that's nothingness, right? Believing in nothingness is fertilizer for anxiety and depression and being realistic is overrated. The belief in God, the protecting and guiding figure we rely on in times are tough is one of the best kind of supports for kids in an increasingly pessimistic world. That's the only, uh, that's only one reason from a purely mental health perspective to pass down a faith tradition. I'm often asked by parents, how do I talk to my child about death if I don't believe in God or heaven? My answer is always the same, lie. The idea that you simply die and turn to dust may work for some adults, but it doesn't help children. 
Belief in heaven helps them grapple with the tremendous and incomprehensible loss in an age of broken family, distracted parents, school violence, and nightmarish global warming disaster prediction. Imagination plays a big part in a child's ability to cope. And not, I mean, yeah, it does. And what an interesting. Uh, well, Jesse, piece let me of let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this: Is there another alternative to, to lying? lying? Yeah. <laughs> what What would it be? Well, you mean you mean for someone who doesn't have the worldview of well, just for any human being, right? Well, well the other option would be would be that there is there that is, we believe there's a, there's a story, right? That we yeah. believe that that we don't have to lie. You know, I do think what she's saying though is. Um, it's not, it, it's, it is what happens. Yes. Right. Like I, I know atheistic and agnostic parents who tell their kids that there's a heaven and there, I mean, and then of course, uh, if you've been in a hospital room as some, as a dear loved one or, or, a passes away, uh, passes away, um, the most hardened atheistic family members will often, uh, coax them into what they're it, it, suddenly they, they say, Hey, you're going to heaven. Yeah. You know, uh, just on the other side of this, you're going to be in a better place, you're be in a better place. Yeah. And uh, I, I've, I've often wondered like, huh, huh. do you, this, this is what, this is what, what a load of this bullets. Is, yeah. This is just a lie. You're, yeah. you're, you're saying a lie yeah. to help this person. But really part of that lie is just a, is, is really, it's a pointer, isn't yeah. it? Like it's a pointer that I need this. I, I want to yeah. believe it. this is good. If only yeah. I could actually believe it. Yeah, her argument basically, you need to lie why the benefits are too big, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, she seems to be one that practices a faith tradition. My question is, why not believe? And to me, your word pointer, I think, is really helpful um, because these transcendent pointers right. of like meaning. Well, we don't want life to be meaningless and empty in the universe to be so. So what do we do? We have to lie to ourselves? Well, what if that's a pointer to a different truth yeah. than the one you're holding on to, yeah. that your life is empty and void and you're just stardust? Maybe there's something else to the story. We did the same thing with gratitude, right? Like, why is gratitude so good for yeah, people if yeah. there's nobody to thank? It seems to me that thanking someone would be uh, more impressive. Now, the question is, in light of all this, right, because people want to make you believe sometimes that, oh, being religious is not good for people. Well, obviously, all the data says it's not good. Or being married, we'll see in a few episodes, yeah, right? Yeah. Having a family. Is that, well, it's obviously good for people. Um, but we don't want to ask why, or we don't want to challenge our own worldview if we don't believe in, say, like, gods or giants, right? Um, so what do we do? Here's the sad thing. And this is a quote from Blaise Pascal. Uh, who was one of the most brilliant people I think in history was a foundational in the in the uh, modern scientific worldview and his foundation of mathematics um, and obviously his philosophical reflections have been very valuable and he became a believer right in his life through his through his studies and his probably his most famous book is the pensees um, which in French just means your his thoughts um, and, and and he has a shocking shocking statement about this is like, you know, what is he 1600s or something? I think yeah, I don't have yeah. the dates for Pascal in front of me a long time ago, but still applies today. And he says this, and he's going to speak about apathy because in light of everything that we feel and see and know, uh, there are options of where we go. Lying is one of them. Not lying is another one. He says this, as I know not who sent me into the world, nor what the world is, nor what I am myself, I am terribly ignorant of everything. I know not my, what, what my body is, nor my senses, nor my soul, or the part of me that thinks what I say, which reflects upon itself, 
as well as on external things, has no more knowledge of itself than of them. I see the terrifying immensity of the universe which surrounds me, and I find myself limited to one corner of this vast expanse, maybe Blacksburg High School, without knowing why I am set down here rather than elsewhere, nor the brief period appointed for my life that is assigned to me at this moment rather than another in all the eternity that's gone before and will come after me. On all sides I behold nothing but infinity in which I am a mere atom, a mere passing shadow that returns no more. All I know is that I must soon die, but that which I understand least of all is the very death which I cannot escape. As I know not whence I come, so I know not whither I go. I only know that upon leaving this world I'll fall into forever into nothingness or into the hands of a wrathful God without knowing to which of these two states I shall be everlasting consigned, such is my condition." full of weakness and uncertainty. From all of this, I conclude that I ought to spend every day of my life without seeking to know my fate. I might perhaps be able to find some solution to my doubts, but I cannot be bothered to do so. I will take not one step towards its discovery. Let's see what Donald Trump is tweeting and turn on the Kardashians and see if Bernie bros are going to win or Joe Biden. (laughs) Not feeling the burn, and we're left. Yeah. And we're left. You're adding a little with, bit to with, Pascal. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't Pascal yeah. at the end. He he's not keeping up with the yeah. Kardashians uh, as he should be. But Jesse, that's the thing that I think uh, ought to disturb more people more. Um, that we're trapped in this world of self creation, in this world with kind of the the rug pulled out from under us, so to speak. And young people are hurting; they're killing themselves; they're getting addicted to drugs, uh, and they they don't know where to go. And all the while we tell them the solution to this is just kind of understand more about uh, the scientific understanding of the world, which obviously my undergraduate degrees in science, I love science, I love that uh, empirical knowledge. Um, But the reality is if the conclusion, right, is meaningless, meaningless, we need to reexamine the premise of life because we need to fight against that with all our might that our lives do matter Every single person can have purpose, and to say otherwise is actually evil. Mm. Mm. And can I can I just briefly here uh, as we close, read? Um, you got a, we got a lot of we got a lot of brother pastors listening, right? Yeah, and some so, guys listening in there. Yeah, so serving churches and communities. Right. Yeah, I've been um, giving a lot of thought to this as as with what I'm doing with training young pastors and uh, and and thinking through. Um, really even the formation of a weekly uh, uh, service, a, a liturgy in ways that, uh, that are um, re- retelling the gospel story in song, prayer, creedal, uh, you know, like in the Sunday gathering, Sunday, Sunday gathering service, the yeah. reenactment of the yeah, story. Yeah. The, the re, yeah, you know, it really, we, we are inviting people to participate in the read drama of the gospel, the singing, the preaching. And, um, and, and recently I've been thinking through, there's this uh, a really powerful, famous prayer that Augustine, St. Augustine, uh, writes in towards the end of his confessions um, as he's uh, reflecting back on this kind of spiritual misadventures of trying to find meaning and love and beauty in all the wrong places. Yeah. Uh, and then in the end, finding that God had found him and had been with him all along. And he says, late have I loved thee, O beauty, uh, late have I loved thee, um, ev- O beauty, ever ancient, ever new. Yeah. And so, so that, that idea of beauty, ancient and new, I think is, 
is what, uh, at least what I'm thinking through with this, with, with thinking about, uh, creating, um, uh, uh, traditions and, um, and, uh, and, and really kind of practices that are, that are beautiful, um, because God is beautiful and that are ancient. So we're not, this is, we're not generous. This isn't self-generating even as a church or some kind of like, you know, you know, we're over here doing our own thing. Uh, but it's also new because it's addressing like actual needs today. The gospel has something for me today. Uh, it's not just something that some guys, you know, believed 2000 years ago, but, uh, God is, uh, you know, is ever, ever ancient, ever new. He's with us today. He's bringing us into the ancient story yeah, and in so, the modern world. Right. And so re- really what, what we're wrestling through and, 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 and working on is how, how, uh, we can, um, you know, make sure that we're inviting our people into this, into practices that root them in ancient truth. That's beautiful. Yeah. But also is, is renewed day, day by day. And, and, and so we're, we're brought into a story that gives us meaning. Yeah. Uh, even if we're not, even if it's below the surface, you know, just reciting a creed, singing a song, listening to other people. Yeah. Amen, Jesse. And that's even why you see in the book of Ecclesiastes, after all the meaninglessness of everything in life is seen and revealed and exposed uh, to young people. So if you're, if you're a pastor or a youth pastor, a parent, uh, a mom or a dad, or just care about young people, that's why at the end of Ecclesiastes, here's the exhortation. Remember your creator, in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Uh, the weariness of life is real, but the renewal day by day, because of God entering the story, entering our story, shaping our story as we follow him from the outside, meaning breaking in, is what we hold forth in our faith and what we hold to in our faith. We have an identity as children, sons and daughters. If you look at episode 54 of the Gospel Underground, ID check, who who are we? We belong, we're family. Gratitude with God, which is good for us, right? Hope that does not disappoint, right? That we need a future, a secure destiny is what we have. It is, in our, it is our inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. We have wonderful death benefits. If you have never listened to episode 33, underground saints listen to that sermon from a dying man mm. about a living man's heart that has meaning and purpose even in the face of his own demise all things matter including sex and marriage family and kids we're going there oh, yeah. in a couple coming weeks up. coming up jesse thanks for talking today with me listening to long Good quotes to out there on meaninglessness thanks for listening in guys the gospel underground is a joint production of power of change and the bonhoeffer house Review us. Please review us on iTunes. Five stars are acceptable still. Send your comments, feedback, questions you might want us to take up here on the Underground 2 info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place on the borderlands between the church and culture with them kids, with your kids, with them high school kids, college kids, 48-year-old kids, maybe 47.2. It's not meaningless. Stay positive. Even when you're 47.2. Stay positive, Jesse. You're on your way down, but you're on your way back up. Peace.